Hear the word of the Lord. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. peace be with you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity to just be in this moment, to be in your presence, to uh, be able to commune with you through song and the powerful songs that we sang today and the truth that's in it that uh, your presence truly is like heaven. As Psalm 16 and 11 tells us that in your presence is the fullness of joy. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe that, to know that, to experience that, that joy uh, today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is, uh, as Jesus said, like a, a river of living water within us. I pray, Father God, that at the end of today's service, that you would allow that river to be store, stirred up and to meet us wherever we are experientially. I pray for the peace of your people. I pray for the joy of your people. I pray, Lord, that their attention at this time would be uh, to your word and what you have said. Lord, you have spoken. You have given us a word. You have given us direction. You have given us an eternal promise. You have sealed us with your spirit. You have given us hope, Lord. You have given us purpose through your resurrected son. And we thank you. We rejoice in that purpose. We rejoice in that rushing river. We rejoice in those truths, even in the midst of where we may be this morning. Lord, wake us up to you. Wake me up to you. Guide my heart and my mouth so that I would speak your words. Allow me to decrease so that you may increase. Christ, would you shine forth this morning through your word. In the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. A few years ago, I got a call from some active members of a church that I was serving about a, a father who... I wasn't a regular attender of our church, but who was well known in our church. And he had fell uh, ill and uh, was fighting cancer quietly when it intensified in a very dramatic way and spread all over his body. And the father requested for the elders and pastors of the church to come and to pray with him. And we went to the hospital and, and prayed with him. He was 
uh, looked a lot different than uh, we had last seen, and his body was weak and weary. And as we prayed, I remember thinking and praying to myself, uh, praying to the Lord with desperation and thinking to myself that um, this is just not a good situation and it, it may not be a good outcome. And we prayed for him and we left. And a, a few weeks later, I got a, a call from one of his daughters that said that um, the doctors at his next appointment could not find a cancer anywhere and that he was miraculously healed. He's living today. He's doing well. He's strong and, and living his life. It was funny because after talking to him and, uh, and following up with them, we had a conversation. It was a great conversation. He had a, a second kind of chance at life and experience this, this life. Um, but, but his focus in that conversation uh, was a, a bit on lament as he was lamenting the fact that he had realized that he had spent half his savings uh, just before he got really ill at Disney World as he called his family and friends together and just spent most of his money. <laughs> and I remember him telling me, he said, Jamal, if I knew the Lord was going to heal me, <laughs> I, I would not have went to Disney World. <laughs> now I've got to find a, a job. <laughs> You know, sometimes we pray and we, we hope that the Lord will heal us and he heals us and we, we really don't know what to do that, with that. We feel like we have a second, second chance of life. Sometimes we pray and we ask the Lord to, to heal and the Lord doesn't heal. It doesn't change. Got two children who have uh, blood diseases and uh, we've, we've prayed that the Lord would heal them. And they're doing a lot better than we expected for them to be doing at this stage in life, but they are not healed. And what do we do with that? What do we do when we go to the Lord and we pray to him? Um, and it's just a mystery on, on what he's going to do, how he's going to act, how he's going to respond. What do we do with the pain of unanswered prayers? Do we keep praying faithfully or do we begin to kind of wane away and become pragmatic and maybe indifferent? towards prayer and towards God. I think that James is really getting at that in this text, in a text that has been uh, used in, in many ways to encourage the body of Christ, to pray more, to pray prayers that are bold and audacious and believe that God is going to come through. But it's also been a source for some of, of confusion as they read these words and, and prayers go unanswered and for some even pain as perhaps they were a part of a faith community that pointed to this passage and unanswered prayers and said the reason your prayer wasn't answered was because you somehow lacked faith. Well, I think that this passage is so important and this week I just poured over this passage over and over and I think that it's so important in what God is going to, to teach us and what James is trying to teach the church. And what he's trying to teach the church here is it has to do with prayer. It has to do with God's power and how he, he does answer uh, uh, his people's prayer. But I think it has more to do with an attitude of the heart, a posture of God's people that is God dependent on him, that believes that God is a God who holistically heals and brings transformation. A God who invites us to pray big, bold, audacious prayers, but a God who invites us to pray these prayers in community with a bigger vision, a bigger picture of, of healing than we might, we might have or expect. 
here in James chapter five, James is going to teach us three things that, that is really important for us as a church to remember. Three things that is really important for us to remember. The first he's going to teach us that a, a God-dependent community is a, is a community that talks to God often. Second, a God-dependent community talks to God together. And third, that a God-dependent community has honest conversations with each other. But within these three big points, the Lord, uh, I believe, really wants to impress upon our hearts to simply embrace being that community. Embrace being a God-dependent community and expect God to work within us. Embrace being a God-dependent community and expect God to work powerfully among us. The first thing James does here in verse 13 is he invites us to talk to God often. He says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Now remember, James has just uh, talked to the church about suffering. Verses one through six, he's seeking to afflict those who are comfortable, those who are rich and wealthy, who are oppressing the poor. And he prophetically speaks, speaks to the rich and the wealthy, probably those who are not in the church. And he, uh, he gives them a, 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 a stern warning a stark word to beware, to, to watch out. The Lord is coming and you will be judged. And then he goes in verses seven through 12 to comfort those who are afflicted, the people of God who are dispersed and who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And he says, listen, the Lord is near. He is with you. He is coming soon. He sees you in your suffering. Trouble will not last always. And now he's going to move and he's going to show, give us two evidences of his grace uh, to the people of God. And those two things that he wants to show us in this passage is, is community and the importance of it, but also prayer. He's saying, as you all are suffering, remember the, the importance of prayer. And not just remember the importance of prayer, but remember the importance of being a part of the community of God. Be a God-dependent community. This first invitation is an invitation for us to talk to God often. It's what Paul would write to the church of Thessalonica, to pray without ceasing. What is prayer? Prayer is simply talking to God. And this passage reminds us that God wants to hear from us with every sigh of our heart, every circumstance of our life. He wants to hear from us. He delights in hearing from his children. He is not indifferent to our prayers. He is not a father who gets tired of our voice. He's saying, talk to me, come to me, no matter where you are or what you're going through, no matter how exasperated you are or even how you have experienced me in your suffering, in your pain, in your confusion, as you can't even trace me. He's saying, trust me enough to talk to me. He says, are you, are you suffering? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Sing praises. If anyone's suffering, talk to me. Prayer is implicit praise. 
even when we're suffering, even when we're bewildered, even when we're going through that Psalm 13 moment like David, and we're like, Lord, where are you? Why are the righteous suffering? How long, oh Lord? We are praising God as we pray, even in suffering, because we're saying, Lord, even if I can't trace you, and even if right now my, my trust is low, I, I, I still believe that you are able. It's, it's praise. And in this passage, we see three movements of prayer throughout. And in case you're just beginning this Christian journey or you've been on it for a long time, you say, I don't even know what prayer looks like. It's three main movements. The first is a movement of adoration, a movement of thanksgiving. Prayer is us pausing just to say, Lord, thank you. Prayer is us taking time to remind ourselves of who God is. That's what Jesus teaches us how to pray. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Great is your name. Prayer also includes supplication. Talking to God means us requesting and asking God for things. Lord, give us this day our daily bread is what Jesus taught the disciples to pray. And here in James chapter five, we see that the, the, the Lord's people, as they are suffering, they are crying out to the Lord for mercy. That is supplication. Prayer also includes confession. Even though we are redeemed, even though we are no longer under the wrath of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, God still wants to hear our confession. It reminds us that we are people who are dependent upon him, in need of him, and that we are not taking his son's sacrifice in vain. So we're going to see a huge emphasis on confessing our sin in this passage. The Lord wants to hear from you. Talk to him regularly. Praise him. Ask him. Confess to him. All of which is, is a form of us worshiping him, believing that he is worthy. We read a powerful passage in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. The apostle John has this vision. It says, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So this is a picture around the throne of God. You have these four living creatures, these angelic beings and the 24 elders. They are all worshiping Jesus, who is the lamb. And there's a picture uh, that is giving a visual, uh, that is giving a mental visual of an angel holding a bowl filled with incense. And it represents the prayers of God's people. This represents their confession. It represents their adoration. It represents their pain, their requests. This bowl is a reminder that our prayers are precious before the Lord. This incense reminds us that, that our prayers are a sweet aroma to him. I was just curious this week if, if what would happen if I just Googled images of uh, an angel holding a bowl before the Lord. And this is the picture that came up. <laughs> and I got stuck for like 20 minutes in just like laughter <laughs> because I just said, man, is that Shaquille O'Neal? And all of a sudden, I just wanted to pray more. I'm like, man, Shaq is holding my prayers up before the Lord. Right? I never saw it this way. I'm just joking, partially. <laughs> it might distract you when you're trying to pray this way. Like, just can't get this image out of my head. But I hope, I hope you see that the Lord wants to hear from you. 
And prayer is an act of desperation. It is an act of dependence. It's us saying, Lord, I depend on you. I need you. But prayer shouldn't be done alone. Prayer should be done in community. That's the second thing we see in this text. A God-dependent community talks to God together. They talk to God together. One uh, pastor theologian writes this, the hallmark of Western Christian civilization has been rugged individualism. Because of our philosophy of life, we are used to the personal pronouns, I and my and me. We have not been taught to think in terms of we and our and us. Consequently, we individualize many references to corporate experience in the New Testament, thus overemphasizing personal prayer, personal Bible study, personal evangelism. The facts are that more is said in the book of Acts and the epistles about corporate prayer, corporate learning of biblical truth, corporate evangelism, and corporate maturity, Christian maturity and growth, than about personal aspects of these Christian disciplines. And I think this is an important word to the church, that when we read the New Testament that is written to a letter of people who are supposed to be doing life together, praying together, And one of the things we see, I think, in uh, the 21st century in our church and in churches all throughout America and the world is this this focus of individualism, this this focus of of it's just about me and, and my way of relating to the Lord. And I really do think that we miss the power of corporate prayer. When we look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, we see that the the church is getting together regularly as a dependent people, as a desperate people, as a needy people together before the Lord, making prayers of thanksgiving and supplication and confession and the Lord is working. The book of James is not written to an individual. It is written to a church. It's written to a group of people who are dependent upon the Lord desperately together not who just live their lives separately and apart and who see the church as just an option or a country club or a YMCA or, or something that you can just jump in and jump out of when you want to. No, it's a people together who are needy and who know without each other and without the Lord, we will stray. So James is saying here, if, if someone is sick, he says, look, you should call the elders of the church and they should pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. This is a picture of someone who is aching and who is in pain. It's implied that this person can't make it out to the, the, the corporate gathering. So he has to call on his elders to pray. And this also implies and is a reminder that the Christian faith is to be lived in community. And there are some of you here today who are Christians, but who are not a part of a local church. You don't have elders, community group leaders, and people who know you by name. And I want to encourage you to see that that is an anomaly in the scripture. That part of you growing as a Christian is being known and making yourself known to those who are around you and being in community, the community in which this triune God has created you for. And I want to encourage you to take that next step to get plugged into a local church that is preaching and teaching the Bible, that believes that, that they're not here and that we don't gather on a Sunday morning to entertain. We don't gather on a Sunday morning to, to put on a show. 
We don't gather on a Sunday morning so that we can uh, 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 try to, to, to be the best church in town or to be compared to other churches. No, we gather on a Sunday morning as a God-dependent people who believe that we need each other and that this God who loves us, delights in us, living in community together and being for one another, and that he saved us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light so that we would not have to live this Christian life alone so that we could share our doubts, our fears, our pains, our, our mishaps together in a refreshing, restorative, imperfect community. This person is sick. This person is hurting. They, he says, pray for the elders. Now, some of us, when we read this, uh, we, we have a, maybe a, a wrong picture of what's happening here. James is not having in mind this being one elder who's like dressed in all white and um, who has like this anointing oil and like a bird on his shirt and has like this miraculous power to heal, right? Hint, 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 Benny Hen, hint. Um, I'll catch you when you go home. Uh, but rather, he's actually talking about just everyday normal elders being called upon. Um, he's, he's not giving us a, this charismatic picture of someone being slain in the spirit and uh, who's demanding you just drop money at the altar, right? This is just an ordinary occurrence of someone who's in pain and who's hurting, calling on uh, the people of God to pray for them. He talks about this anointing oil. In the Old Testament, anointing oil was a picture of consecration. It was a picture of refreshment. It was a picture of, of healing. It's symbolic. It's not magical. And so when we pray here for people who are sick and we put anointing oil over them, it's not magical, right? There's nothing in it. But what it's pointing us to is the anointed one, Jesus Christ. The one who was bruised for our iniquities and our trespasses, the one by whom stripes we are healed. And so symbolic of the presence of the Lord, it's a reminder that we've been consecrated by the Lord and that something beautiful is happening when God's people cry out to him for mercy. Verse 15 says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. When a God-dependent people pray, um, our, our, our prayer is not rooted in our faith in faith itself, okay? Because we can read this passage and say, okay, the prayer of faith will save the sick person. Some people say, well, if you were sick and you're not healed, it's because you did not have enough faith. Uh, that's not what James is saying. He's saying when the church gathers together and pray, when these elders pray, they're going to pray the prayer of faith. I don't believe that James is, is guaranteeing healing. I believe two things are happening here. The first thing I believe is happening here is James is writing to an audience. When we read this in context, I believe whose faith is waning, who's becoming double-minded, uh, probably because of the sufferings that they are under. So we go back to James chapter one. Remember James chapter one, he tells them to count it all joy. And then after that, he tells them to pray. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach and it will be given, right? 
And he talks about this prayer of faith. He says, but when you ask, don't ask doubting, right? So he's trying to tell this church, like, pray confidently. Believe that God will give you wisdom because he will. Believe that God will give you healing because he will. But I believe the healing that James is pointing us to, it's, it's one, a healing of our soul. And it could be physical healing, though that's not guaranteed. It's interesting that he's going to go on in verses 16 to 20 by showing that a God-dependent uh, community is not only a God that talks, uh, a community that talks to God together, but it's also a community that has honest conversations with each other. Now, stay with me, because this is really big, I think, and really important for us to understand what's happening here in context. All right? He's saying a community that's dependent on the Lord is a community that is praying to God together, but it's also a community that is confessing sin together. And what he wants to show them is that sometimes the reason a person is experiencing this crippling sin may be a result of that person wandering away from their faith. It may be a result of that person living in habitual, intentional, flagrant sin. Now, let me nuance here. It doesn't mean that that is always the case. And we want to be careful not to nasal gaze and sin hunt and assume that because someone is ill, that they have done something wrong. In John chapter 9, we read these words. This is Jesus passing by with his disciples. It says, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus answered, this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Fascinating chapter if you've never read John 9 or you hadn't read in a while, go home and read it. The disciples are assuming that a person is blind because they sinned or his parents. He's like, no, um, there's not a direct correlation between sickness, illness, and, and someone hurting. Right? We live in a, a fallen world. Right, studies show that after the age of 30, all of our bodies begin to decay. We begin to actually lose strength, right? Uh, y'all can thank me later for, later for making you feel so good about yourselves, right? Um, that's just a part of being a mortal. That's just a part of life. But what James is saying to this church, he's saying, as the elders are coming, don't forget that sometimes the reason that a person is hurting is because they are being disciplined by the Lord. And if they're in Christ, this discipline is not a discipline of like wrath and anger. It's actually a discipline of love that God is afflicting their body or their circumstances in order to get their attention to bring them to a place of dependence. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul says this to the church. They were gathering, they were taking communion together, a meal that's supposed to remind them of the good news of Jesus and what he has done. And they were kind of glossing over communion and not taking it serious. And some were taking communion while walking in habitual, intentional, flagrant sin. And Paul says, yo, the reason why some of y'all are hurting and sick and have even died is because you're not taking time to remember what this meal is for. Because there's a habitual, intentional sin that has grabbed root in your heart. He says, some of you are sick and some of you have even died. 
And so what James is telling the church here, he's saying as a a God-dependent community, a, a, a community that has God at the forefront of their mind, a community that is suffering and beat up and that's hurting, but that is persevering in their faith, is a community that is doing life together. And part of doing life together is praying, but it's also confessing our sin. Confession is an act of humility. Confession is an act of worship. It is remembering what Christ has done. We confess not in guilt, not in condemnation, not in shame. We confess remembering what Christ has done, remembering that there is no condemnation, remembering that he is for us, remembering 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David prayed in Psalm 51. He says, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Not my salvation, but the joy of my salvation. Sin binds, it blinds, it grinds, it it sucks the life out of us when we ignore the Spirit's presence and the Spirit is, is grieved. It has a way of rotting our bones away. James is saying, as you go into this house, pastor these people well and simply ask them, is there something that you need to confess? Is there something that you're hiding? Not in a condemnation way, but in a way in which allows them to experience healing. Psalm 32, one through three says, David, pray, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Joyful whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. And some of you here today are hurting. You you are lacking joy Some have even, in the recesses of your heart, wandered away from the Lord. You're kind of doing a spiritual moonwalk like Michael Jackson in the spiritual realm. You're kind of wandering. You're you're, you're hiding like Adam and Eve. You're you're like Cain. You're you're bitter and and cold. And and now you're doubting whether or not God is who he said he is. And you probably can't even explain the pain. You can't even explain the distance, but... But honestly, the reason why is because you're treasuring some sin or you're walking in pride and rather than come out and say, I need help, I need help. Rather than walking in vulnerability and taking off the fig leaves and allowing the Lord to cover you, you're putting on more fig leaves. Rather than coming to people in your community groups or in your church that you know are reliable and dependable and genuinely love you and who want to walk with you, you're you're too prideful. And perhaps it's because of fear. Perhaps because you're afraid of being exposed. And being exposed, it is scary, but it's also the pathway to healing. I really think that's what what James is doing here. If we continue to read, look at this, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins once another and pray for another so that you may be healed. That verse is refreshing. It's not a voice verse of condemnation. It's, It's a confess to each other. God has given you each other and be healed. Be healed. Healing is possible through the people of God who has set their eyes on Christ together. You don't have to suffer alone. It's possible. This is fascinating what James does here. 
The prayer of the righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Believe it. Believe it. I pray that the Lord will give us an attitude of Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. We see these three Hebrew boys who refuse to bow before a false god. They were threatened um, to, to, to be tortured. And they say, listen, we will not bow to your false god. For our God is capable of saving us, but even if he don't, even if he doesn't, right? It's not because he can't, because he chooses not to. I think that's the attitude of a prayer faith. It's an attitude that says, I believe that God can heal. I believe that God loves me, and not only can he heal, but he can heal me. But I also know that if he chooses not to, it's not because he doesn't love me. It's not because he's not for me. The gospel says he's for you. It's because he has chosen for whatever divine reason not to. And it's not him screaming no at us. It's him saying, child, I am with you in your suffering. My grace is sufficient. The apostle Paul, one of the most powerful men to ever walk the earth and be used by God, heard a no from God in his prayer. Paul prayed three times, Lord, take this thorn for my flesh. And what did God tell him? He didn't tell him no. He just told him, my grace is sufficient. In other words, yeah, I'm going to allow it to stay, but what I want you to focus on is not me not taking away. What I want you to focus on is my goodness, my unmerited, undeserved mercy. And later on in life, Paul was able to come to a place of saying, I've learned to be content. Not only have I learned to be content, but the Lord revealed to me why I needed that thorn. It was to keep me humble. Believe your prayers matter to God. They are effective. They are powerful. Verse 17 through 18, we see this image of Elijah who prays earnestly for rain, for for it not to rain, and for three years it doesn't. And then we see it says, in six months, uh, for three years and six months it doesn't, then 18, then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. Now what's interesting about this example that he uses of Elijah is this. He could have used a lot of different examples of Elijah. Elijah prayed often and saw the Lord work. The one illustration that he chose to use was when Israel was being disciplined by the Lord because of habitual, intentional sin. Because they were not walking before the Lord with humility. And so he uses an example to say, We ought to pray like Elijah, knowing that God hears our prayers, but he's also getting to this this point that he was making that some of us, the reason we are hurting is because we are not coming clean before the Lord and we're not living with a dependency on him in community. Verse 19 through 20, my brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. You see what what he's doing here? He's went from just prayer in general, pray to God if you're suffering, pray to God if you're hurting. Know that God hears you just like he heard Elijah. Elijah's not a respective person. He's a human being just like you. God wants to hear from you and God will work. However, nuance, know that there's some among you who are wondering and perhaps some of you are hurting because you're wondering. Now he's saying to the church, go and get that person who's wandering and who's hurting. Go and get that person who's wandering and who's hurting. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together says this, nothing can be more cruel 
than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian and one's community back from the path of sin. Every single person here who professes faith in Christ Jesus, who is living and, and walking in the spirit, Galatians chapter five, you are a part of God's spiritual search and rescue team. It's not simply the pastor's job to go and to get people who are wandering. Notice what they're wandering from the truth. They're believing a lie. And why is this important for us to go and get them? Because it leads to death. Someone not living in a community, doing a spiritual moonwalk, being apathetic, cold, when you gather with them, it's all about them and their career and less and less about Jesus. It's not something that's just like, oh, oh man, I wish they were doing better. No, James is saying it's a problem. And as a church, you need to go and get them. Why you need to go and get them? Because they're headed towards death. And because God is about restoration and healing, not death and decay. So let's sum this up as we think about this passage and what James is telling us to be. He's calling us to be courageous and to be a God-dependent community that expects God to work and expects God to heal. And if he doesn't heal us on this side of heaven, he can still heal our, our soul and give us joy and peace as we suffer. And a God-dependent community is a community that prays with confidence knowing that God wants to hear from you and that he will answer your prayer. And if not on this side of the resurrection, when there is a resurrection of our body, we will be answered. I said, I've got two daughters, who, uh, two children who have uh, blood disorders, Pray for the Lord to heal them. It's part of the thorn that God has allowed them to have and us to have as a family as they're constantly suffering and hurting and doing different times of the year. I believe my daughters will be healed. In fact, I believe that they're healed now and they can be healed now as they place their faith and trust in Jesus. And that one day in a resurrected body, that they won't be hurting anymore. So we want to pray with confidence, knowing that the Lord does here. Second, we want to be known by the members of our church. Long-ranger, individualistic Christianity is a sure path to death. Be known by people. Third, be a person who confesses your sin to others and who others can confess their sins to. All of us need someone that we can be known by. All of us need a group of people that we can be honest with. And listen, believing in the gospel of Jesus allows us to be honest because the gospel tells us that the worst things about us is already known, has already been said. And look, they've been nailed to a cross. They've been buried. <laughs> and now we are, we are raised with Christ. When I confess my sin to a gospel-believing Christian, they're not, they shouldn't be shocked. They shouldn't even be I have grave disappointment. They should know that you're a human being that is in process of being made whole and that the gospel applies to you too, Jamal. And they should be thrilled that you are confessing so that, so that I can grow and walk closely with the Lord and intimately with them so that my light will shine so that others can see. But be a person who people can confess to. All of us should strive to be a person that people can confess to. Be reliable. Guard our mouth, as James has taught us throughout this book. If someone shares something in confidence, keep it in confidence. 
unless that person is going to hurt someone else or hurt themselves. Be that person, be that friend. And that requires us not being self-focused. And the gift of not being self-focused or being other-focused actually comes through prayer and communion with God because it is in prayer and communion with God that we hear the Father's voice say, I've got you. I'm with you. You're mine. And then you start to walk with this spiritual swag. Instead of doing like a a spiritual moonwalk, you can walk with a a spiritual swag, which is a part of, of, of boldness and confidence, but also humility. And now you can look at other people and rather than overwhelm them with everything that is going on in your heart, now you can receive what's going on with them and be ministers of reconciliation and bring healing. As we look to this text, I I wanna encourage you to do one thing. Today, we're about to do something a little different. Um, We we, we believe in the power of prayer here. We believe that God has called us to be a God-dependent community. As a pastor here, and as your pastors, we wanna make sure that we're constantly giving opportunities for us to pray together. And so in just a second, we're gonna take communion. This meal that points us back to Jesus that reminds us what he's done for us and his love for us, that calls us to do some introspection. But as we're taking communion, we're also gonna have prayer stations um, in the sanctuary so that you can pause and pray with your pastors and members of this church that we've asked to join them, okay? In the back, we're gonna have two prayer stations in a prayer chapel. Uh, these doors are gonna be open and we're gonna pray. Some of y'all probably looking at that prayer chapel like, is that really a prayer chapel? I never see people in there praying. (laughs) Well, guess what? Today we are redeeming the time. It's a prayer chapel. (laughs) And if you're wandering, this is a good time for you to just pray with someone and say, hey, my heart is cold, my heart is wandering. These are trustworthy people that you can do that for. But I don't want it to just end there. I want you to, if you're in a community group and in community, to then confess that to a, a reliable Christian who you know loves you so that they can begin to to help you to see why that is. What pain are you not processing well? And if you're not a part of a community or for a church, perhaps today you go in the back and you confess that, you pray with someone and you get plugged in here, or you you tell them my intent is to get plugged in at another local church. Listen, (laughs) healing is available. This passage says that healing is available And it's not available by our faith or because of our faith, I should say. It's available by our faith in the object of our faith. And the object of our faith is a resurrected king (laughs) who is interceding for you, praying for you right now and who loves you. So let's pray in community with each other and let's take communion. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his disciples The Bible says that he took bread, blessed it, said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christians, often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And we take this meal, reminding ourselves that it's by his stripes that we are healed spiritually. And it's by his stripes that we one day will be healed Uh, physically and holistically. If you're not a Christian, we ask you not to partake in this meal. I really want to encourage you to partake in Christ, to believe in a Savior who can wash away your sins, give you a fresh start, 
give you the Holy Spirit that will enable you, that will enable you to love God and to be loved by God and to know that you're loved by God. Those of you here in the front, come to the front. Those of you here in the back, go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.